This morning, I am going to tell you a story of failure. It's not a sad story. It's a story of learning to be joyful in defeat. This is a different kind of message this morning. It's a personal story, the story of my run in London in the marathon on October 3rd, not this past, but the year before. It's a story that taught me some powerful lessons that I'm excited, kind of, to share with you. For seven months, I trained and worked harder than I had ever worked at anything else before in my entire life. Have we had anyone in here who's run a marathon? Anybody? I was coached by a friend who was facing his own marathon, a battle with cancer. And the lesson that I'm going to give to you this morning is given for one reason only. It is my hope that it will be helpful to you. And I I really mean that. You know that every one of you is going to be defeated. (laughs) Does that seem like a a gloomy thing to say? (laughs) At some point, you will face failure, won't you? The lesson that I'm going to give you, in a nutshell, is that when you trust Jesus you can actually face defeat joyfully. That's just the truth. And we're going to start with Scripture, and then I'll tell you my story. Look at these words. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. These are the opening lines of a letter written by Jesus' brother to Jesus' followers who are like siblings because Jesus, by his grace, has brought them into the same family. His letter begins with a summons to a particular outlook on struggles. He believes that suffering tests faith. That leads to endurance and maturity and character. And he's convinced that if you keep this in mind, you will be able to face life's trials differently. Uh, We're going to take our time through this statement, one phrase at a time, to see if we can learn from it. Notice first the situation to which this is addressed. Whenever you face trials of any kind, trials are life's challenges, either outward or inward. Either external adversity that makes it hard for you to keep going or internal temptations that threaten your progress in the right direction. Trials are the things that you go through which make you want to give up on what's right. Is it true that every life has trials of many different kinds? Yes or no? Yes, it is. Failures, defeats, upsets, setbacks, etc. This guidance here is meant to be practical no matter what kind of challenges you personally are facing. This is entirely practical. What are the trials for you? 
What are the struggles that you personally are facing right now? What are the things that are in your way? You wish they were different. You've tried to change them, but you can't. Whatever that is, whatever fight you're in, look again at what James says. Consider it nothing but joy. (laughs) What's your natural response to life's trials? Is it yes? For me, when I encounter trials of various kinds, my natural response is frustration. It's annoyance. And if you don't believe me, ask the people who are closest to me in life, and they'll tell you. When something stands in my way, I want it out of the way, and I'm unhappy. If it's really bad, I might get angry. If I put a lot into this particular outcome, and it's not going my way, I might even be filled up with grief. I'm not alone in this, am I? No. And so when I look at this guidance, I might think this is worse than useless, right? It mocks me. But, but here we need to be precise. And I'm going to say this isn't aside from this particular passage, The more that I read the Bible, the more I see how important it is to read it carefully, or otherwise you miss what it's saying. Uh, The more time a person spends with this, the more fruit it will bear in their life. I I believe that. I think there are a lot of people who barely look at it and dismiss it, but that's because they've never taken the time really to understand it. Look again at this statement with me, that consider it nothing but joy. Here, I am not actually told what to feel. I'm told how to look. Do you see that? He doesn't say, when you encounter trials, feel joyful. He doesn't say that, because that's impossible. What he says is, consider it. And that's a statement that's not directed at my natural feelings, but at the capacity that God gave me and you too for how to choose to look at the things that I am going through in life. He's telling me here to consider my my challenges in a different way than I habitually do. Not the easy way that I naturally respond, but instead to do the work required to take a joyful rather than a dire outlook on my situation. I hope that someone in here this morning maybe has not ever thought of that agency that God has given her or him that when I'm in a difficult situation, I actually can decide how I look at it. I might not change my feelings, but I can change the way I choose to view it. Why? Why should I choose to change the way I view it? Again, we need precision here. James is not going to tell you that if you look at it in the right way, everything will turn out exactly like you want. That's a very popular thing for religious figures to promise to people. And I have to tell you, I think it's a lie. He doesn't say that. Here's why you should consider your trials in this way. Look at what he says. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let's be careful again. Testing there. It may sound to you like a kind of 
sit down between an instructor and a student, and depending on whether you pass or fail, you're either in or out. That is not what the word testing here means at all in Greek. It does not mean that. Testing, listen, this is so beautiful. Testing is the process in which external stresses lead over time to internal transformation. Did you catch that? One person did, I heard, mm. <laughs> To the first readers of this letter, when they heard this phrase here, testing of your faith, the first thing that would have come to their mind was the image of a soldier going into battle afraid and weak and uncertain, but then making it through that battle out onto the other side into peace, and now completely different person because of what he went through. That is someone who has been tested proved, made strong because of the fight which was survived. James had been through some battles with the people that he wrote this to. His brothers and sisters in faith had lived through some challenges with him and they came out different on the other side. And based on that, he reminded them of something that they know, which is meant to change the way they look at the trials that they have to face in life. Can you think for a moment again of your trials that you have to endure? You might be the only person in the whole room who knows them. Nothing has taught me more about endurance at all than long distance running. And I, ne I, I never would have believed I'd be the person to say that. Some of you were here when I first came on staff at Renaissance Church and I had made an announcement about Team World Vision and I told everybody in the congregation, you should run. And then I made some joke, I will never run, ever. And the next year, someone pressured me and I signed up for the half marathon. And the first day I went out to train, at this time I lived right near Franklin Elementary School in Summit. Does some of you know where that is? I went out my door and I turned and I started to run up the hill and after 400 yards, I swore I was going to die. I, and I, I, you, you're laughing. I stopped and I was, <laughs> and there was a kid on the sidewalk in front of Franklin Elementary and the kid said, excuse me, sir, should I call you an ambulance? <laughs> For the next two months, two months, it was like that almost every time I ran. It was pure misery. But then I kept at it and my body became a different body. And running went from being a complete and total miserable thing to being a delight for me. I'm sure you've heard the expression, a runner's high. Have you? I had heard that before and I thought it was some stupid things that runners made up. <laughs> I, I, I know now because I endured what that's like, it is hard to overestimate the value of it. In May of 2021, I met John Hoffman. And I have learned more about joy in defeat from that man than I've learned from anybody else. I was at a cookout at a friend's house and I had begun training for the London Marathon. Anyone who would listen to me heard me brag about how good I was going to do. And I'm serious. 
I sat down at the table with this man whose wife I knew a bit, and I had met him just one time, and of course, I steered the conversation toward running, and I asked him, uh, have you ever run? He said, I've run a few times. Why do you ask? I'm getting ready to run the London Marathon. He said, oh, is that right? Do you have a goal for yourself? I said, yeah, I'm going to run it in three hours and 30 minutes. Now, that's a first marathon, and I was 49 years old at the time, and that is kind of crazy for someone my age and, and with this little experience. He said, oh, yeah, why do you want to do it that quick? And I told him, oh, because of my friend Robert Butters. Does that sound like a made-up name? Robert Butters? It's not. It's a real person. Do you have anybody in your life who you like to compete with? Robert is my competitor. When I ran the half marathon for Team World Vision, I, I called him up. He lives down uh, at the Jersey Shore. I called him up. Robert, guess what I just did? I ran a half marathon. He's like, oh, good for you. I said, have you ever run a uh, far distance? Oh, I've run a little bit. Have you ever run a half marathon? I have. Oh, have you ever gone further? He said, I've run three marathons, and my best time, I just missed it. I had always wanted to run three hours and 30 minutes, but I, I ended at three hours and 30 minutes and 33 seconds. And so in that moment, I decided I'm going to beat this guy. And so that's why I told John. John said, you can do it. And then he said, and I'm going to coach you. Now I said, have you ever run a marathon? Oh, I've run 17 marathons. His best time was two hours and 46 minutes. So I left that meeting ready the next morning to start training for real so that I could beat Robert. I was in my office right up here and my phone rang and it was my friend Robert and I hadn't talked to him for like six or seven months. He called me out of nowhere. I told him, hey, I just wanna say one last thing after we checked in. I'm gonna run the London Marathon in October and I'm gonna finish in three hours and 29 minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> Five minutes after I got done talking with him, my phone rang and it was Glory. And that's John's wife. And she was crying. John just called me. He's in New York City at the doctor. He just got a horrible diagnosis. His cancer has returned. She said, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. And while I was talking to her, call waiting and it's John. So I took it, and now he is calling me from the doctor's office in tears, and he says, I don't know how my family is going to make it through this. That was his concern. I told him, John, I'm going to be with you the whole way. I started to cry. That doesn't surprise anybody who knows me. I'm going to be with you the whole way. And then he said, I have one question for you, Christian. Do you know how to do proper sit-ups and push-ups? I'm not kidding. The very next morning, we met right here in the lobby, and he had a mat and a muscle roller, and he was teaching me how to do push-ups and sit-ups. And he told me, you're going to make it as long as you let me coach you. And when we finished, I said to him, I'll let you coach me if you let me coach you through your race, because we know how my race is going to end. It's going to end in London on October 3rd with the marathon, but we don't know how or when your race is going to end. I'll never forget what he said. He looked right, right at me in the face. He said, Christian, I'm going to work as hard as you're going to have to work at your race. Let's go. James says this in the Bible. He says, this is Jesus' brother. He says, 
that the trials that you're thinking of, and whatever they are, you let them come to mind. Those, those inconveniences in life, those brutal facts of existence that you are unable to alter, the things that have happened behind you, the mistakes that you made and maybe you regret it, but now you have to live with them, those things, the unwanted diagnoses, the losses that you know you can't manage. James actually says that all of those things produce endurance in life in the future if you hang in there. And he knows as well as anybody else knows. And you know this too. I know it. Nobody knows what the future is going to hold. You don't know what's going to happen. So all you can do, and this is the moment in this message where I want you to make this as personal as you can to yourself. All you can do is hang in there with everything you've got, trusting and having faith in this process where endurance builds character and makes maturity happen and makes things complete which would otherwise be incomplete. And believing that, hanging in there and choosing not to throw in the towel. And James's version of not throwing in the towel is, is in what we've read already. Look again. It's where he says, let endurance have its full effect. Don't bail out when it gets difficult. Because if you do then endurance will not do what endurance does. Its full effect only comes when you stay in the fight, when you choose not to give up and face every challenge with everything you've got, not more than you've got, but with everything you've got. What are you tempted to give up on? What's your struggle? I know I have no idea. You do, what is it? If you quit, you will miss out on the positive effects of testing, which only come through trials. God knows what you're going through. You trust him, and there's a promise. Hang in there. Here's the promise. Hang in there so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants you to grow up. So many times when you're honest with yourself and you look at the reflection and you say, why am I not further along? Does anybody else do that? I definitely do that. God wants you to be further along. He wants you to grow up. Why can't I get this right? God is not beside you condemning you. He's there saying, I'm glad you're seeing this. I will help you. But you have to hang in there. In the end, God's will will come and we will reach the goals that we set for ourselves when we endure or not. And it comes down to whether we hang in there. John's goal, and he told me right out there on May 17th, was to beat cancer. And he worked harder than anyone I've ever seen work at anything his doctors were profoundly inspired by his positivity in the way he endured every trial that you could to beat a disease. 
And all the while, he persisted in meeting with me three days a week to watch me do push-ups and sit-ups, to bring me to the running store, to get the proper shoes. And everybody he met, he was kind and generous and good to. He was cheerful. I never heard him ever complain once. He cheered me on all the way up until the summer when, for me, my goal of running a marathon in three hours and 30 minutes seemed like a moronic decision that I wish I hadn't made. But I bragged about it to so many people, I couldn't go back on it. And so listen to what I did. Listen to this. Listen. I stopped eating ice cream, Cool Ranch Doritos for seven months. Every time somebody asked me if I wanted a dessert, I said no. I got up at five o'clock in the morning, four days a week, and even though most of those days I wanted to stay in bed, I got up, I drank my coffee, I got out on the road by myself in Bedminster, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran 683 miles training. That was very, very hard to do, but I pushed myself to do it. And the truth is, the more I saw John fight and the more joyful I saw this man being, not just with me, but around the other people that he was around, I told myself over and over again, you do it for John. I prayed for him on the road. It must have been 60, 70 hours of prayer while I would run. And half of my prayers were, God, heal him. And the other half were, God, thank you for this man who is changing me as I run and he runs in his marathon. Have you ever known somebody like that? God, God wants us to see people like that so they change us. And that's how life works. People who believe and have faith and shine because of it, they ignite a fire in the hearts of the people who get close to them. That's how it works. Now, you might not know this, I think right now, Pastor Vito is actually running in New York the marathon right now. Isn't that something? While I'm talking about my marathon, he's running one. <laughs> Vito and I trained together for the London Marathon. A few times he told me, Christian, lower your expectations a little bit. <laughs> I'm serious. To run 26.2 miles in three hours and 30 minutes, you have to average eight minutes and three seconds a mile. And I know this because in my training runs, I actually learned to count my steps to know exactly how many steps I had in a mile, and I could almost always run exactly eight minutes and three seconds. I would look at my watch, and I'd hit it. And I, this is when I was running 10 miles, when I was running 20 miles. I ran a 22-mile training run before the marathon, and I averaged 7.55. And I ran a 10K, and I was 60 seconds faster per mile than I needed to be for the marathon. I told Vito, I'm not going to finish. My 26th mile is not going to be eight minutes and three seconds. It's going to be six minutes and 40 seconds. <laughs> On September 28th was the last time I visited with John before I flew to Heathrow. We were, he was here in Summit. The race was going to be on the third. So I went over to his house. He had been in bed for a few weeks. The doctors had given him an incredibly aggressive course of treatment. And he was there praying for recovery and for a miracle. I sat down beside his bed. He said, Christian, don't go out too fast. You're going to be a rocket out of the gate. Preserve your energy while you go. Don't do anything new on race day. 
So folks who've run marathons know that one of the mistakes you make is when race day happens, you eat differently and it messes everything up. I said, John, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for you and for all you've been to me. The phone rang and it was his doctor. The doctor had already finished working with John. He called just because he liked John so much he wanted to ask him how he was doing. John said, I'm okay, and then instantly turned the conversation to the doctor. How's your wife doing? I know you just had a new baby. How's everything going at home? Are you starting to get sleep? Is everything okay? And then he said, I have to go. He hung up, and he looked at me and said, that's a good man. His doctor's wife had just had her own diagnosis with cancer. In London, I got a text message on October 2nd, the day before my race. Call home. It's important. John had died. And I can't even tell you how much my chest hurt. I cried. Oh, I cried so hard. And I knew this. It was nothing at all like the grief that his wife and his son and his daughter would be feeling. On the third, I woke up early for my race. I barely slept. I had my coffee and my water. I told myself, don't do anything new on race day. The problem was the start of my race was four and a half hours from when I woke up. In Bedminster, I would get up, cup of coffee, cup of water, and within 10 minutes, I'm on the road. And in those four and a half hours, while I was telling myself, don't do anything different, I was getting dehydrated and my body emptied out of fuel completely. And so on the starting line, I was already dehydrated and it felt like somebody had a knife in my stomach. But I kept telling myself, you are going to do this today for John, no matter what it feels like. I had written my name on my chest, on my jersey, because people told me in the London Marathon, there's tons of fans and they'll cheer you on. And I'd written Coach John on my arm. We started to run. And this is great. My friend Robert happened to be in London. He told me, I'm going to be at mile seven. Mile seven, I ran at seven minutes and 40 seconds. He was there. I was, <laughs> For the first nine miles, I averaged 7.55. I was, it's a good pace. I was eight seconds a mile faster than I needed to be. But it felt like there was a knife in my stomach. At the beginning of mile nine, that pain spread from here up into my chest and I actually thought, this time I might really have a heart attack. And I told myself, do this for John. And then I heard John's voice in my ear. It was something he had told me during coaching. Christian, sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you don't get the race that you prepared for. And I didn't just think of myself, I thought of John. That was a guy who prepared for life and worked for it. And, and as I passed mile nine, I thought he did everything that a person could do and the outcome was not what he hoped for and what we prayed for and what his family wanted and what he wanted. And then this is the phrase that popped into my mind. Joyful in defeat. And that's what I want you to take to heart right now. That it is possible to be joyful in defeat. Whether it's defeat in an ambitious goal that you set yourself in a marathon, 
or a defeat in a relationship that's not going as you wish it was, a defeat in your career and your family life, whether it's a defeat that's really small or a defeat that is as big as the life of a beautiful person being cut off too soon. It is possible to be joyful in every defeat because endurance and trials, those do something to us when we're open to that. I kept my pace up all the way to mile 13, and then as we crossed over the London Bridge, I came over to the side, and I started to walk. And I'm telling you, this is not just me saying this. I felt like the biggest failure ever. I really did. And, and now that I was walking, this is the only reason I didn't quit. People could read my name on my jersey, And so right as I was waiting to get beyond the barrier on the other side of the bridge so I could just go and lie down on the sidewalk and maybe die myself, (laughs) this older man said, go on, Christian, you can do it. I looked at him right in the eyes. I thought, you have no idea what you're talking about, old man. (laughs) I didn't say that. And then it was a group of women about 25 seconds later. Go on, Christian. They said this. You're doing great. Everybody was passing me. In the London Marathon, there's a group of people who run in costume. SpongeBob SquarePants passed me. A man dressed like one of those big red phone booths ran past me. It was humiliating. But every 20 seconds, you've got it, mate. Peers of mine who, if I was in the States, they would be laughing at me, were saying, Well done, Christian. Keep going, Christian. You got it. Don't give up. And it took me 18 minutes and 45 seconds to go that mile. And that was awful. Every step of it. I tried to run. My body said, don't you dare. I walked for the next 140 minutes. I walked like this. It was so hard. I didn't give up because strangers along the way encouraged me. At mile 19, I came up behind a man who had a a thing on his back. It said, blind runner. And he was holding on to the arm of a woman beside him. They were walking. And as I came up behind them, I heard him praising her for how grateful he was for the way that she had been a guide to him through this race. And it was so beautiful to listen to. And then he said, you know what? When we get to mile 20, I want to try to run one more time. And I said, God, I'm going to try to run one more time too. And I had done the math. At 18 minutes a mile, it would have been like 7.30 at night when I finally finished. I was like, I got to do this. (laughs) So they started to run, and and it was a miracle. I was able to run with them. It was about 11 or 12 minutes a mile. You know how when you're in traffic and you follow an ambulance and everybody gets out of the way? It was like that. He was blind. She'd say, blind runner coming through. I was right behind them. (laughs) Everybody... (laughs) I kept going faster, and I kept going faster. Every mile from then until the end, I sped up. I was screaming to myself, keep going in the last mile. As we ran up to the finish line, I fell over, and I just started to cry. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And listen now, it was not because I was sad at all. It wasn't. I was humbled. In that process, it was the humiliation of failing was transformed through that endurance into the humility that I knew this is a good thing. I need to be more humble. God will use me way better when I'm humble. 
And I, I knew it. And then I just thought of John and how thankful I was that I had the experience of having a coach like that who taught me the truth that endurance comes when you go through trials and choose not to take a dire outlook on them, but instead remain joyful and positive. You can do that. And anyone who does that and chooses to open her heart or his heart to Jesus' presence in that process will be victorious no matter what defeat they have to go through anyway. Because, this is my last word, in Jesus, there is no such thing as an eternal defeat. Maybe one more sentence. As I was lying on the lawn in in the park there out in front of the palace in England, I looked up at the sky and I thought, someday I'm going to get to run with John. I did think maybe I'll beat Robert Butters someday. (laughs) Maybe next year. Can we pray? Can we pray together? Let's do that. God, we love you and thank you for this amazing challenge that comes from the brother of our Lord that we can consider every trial a joy. And through the endurance that you enable when we do that, find ourselves maturing, growing up, and becoming complete. I thank you for the dear friend that you gave me in John Hoffman, for the witness he was to me and to so many others in the way he faced defeat. I thank you also for those many, many strangers along the road who encouraged me. And my prayer for us here as a group is that we will be able to endure and you will use us to help others endure. And so this morning, whether we need to cheer on someone in our life who's in a trial or whether it's our trial that we need to have heart for, build us up and make us people who run with endurance. In the name of Jesus, we pray.